left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. I think many times, Jim, that integrity piece will come out. If you can get on with the lead sponsor or the folks that are really in charge or a handful of them, and you can get on a Zoom meeting and you can fire these questions away at them, you'll be able to tell how they answer. And if there's lots of ums and ahs and they can't answer, that may not be the person that you feel comfortable going into battle with, because we will be going into battle as we head into this recession and your retirement dollars are at stake. At Left Field Investors, we are passionate about real estate investing, but we don't want to deal with the three T's, termites, toilets, and tenants. We think real estate syndications are the best way to build wealth without being a landlord. However, many real estate syndications can have a cost of entry that is too high to diversify effectively. Enter TribeVest. TribeVest is the platform that allows you to invest as a group with like-minded people and accomplish more together. TribeVest allows groups to pool their capital, set up their multi-member LLCs and bank accounts, plus help with operating agreements, funding rounds, and so much more. When you invest as a tribe, you can get into more deals with a level of confidence that is hard to match by yourself. That's why I'm in 11 tribes. TribeVest is the premier partner for left-field investors. And what's even better is that all left-field investors get premium onboarding for free. Go to tribebest.com slash LFI to start your tribe today. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeBest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. This is Brian Burke from Praxis Capital, and you are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. I'm very excited today to have Scott Myers with us. He's been a real estate investor since 1993, and he's been a self-storage investor since 2005. His companies actively acquire and develop self-storage facilities nationwide. He has approximately $160 million in assets under management. Two and a half million square feet and over 15,000 doors across 43 projects. So he's definitely a self storage guy. So, Scott, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Jim, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And the first question I always ask is if you could kind of give us your journey. How did you get into real estate? And then how and why did you get into self storage after that? Sure. So 1993 is when I bought my first property. And uh, believe it or not, I'm dating myself. And the fact that some folks here may remember Mr. Carlton Sheets and his home study course that it was sold on cable television. Well, I bought that home study course and learned how to find and implement the Burr method before it became the Burr method, which is to find a home, single family house, rehab it, rent it out, refinance it, and then move on to the next. And so we did that multiple times then multifamily. And we found ourselves with about you know, 78 homes and about 425 apartments and recognized that we didn't really have the freedom and the passive income that Mr. Carlton Sheets had talked about. And so my wife and I decided that we love real estate for, I think, the same reasons why everybody here on this podcast does is that it appreciates if you do it right. And you can force that appreciation as well by improving the properties. We can depreciate them for tax purposes. We can borrow money. We can leverage and borrow money to buy more real estate. 
And then when our tenants pay our properties off, well, they paid our basis down and all we've had to do is manage it in the meantime. Well, when I say all we have to do, that is a challenging part between the A to a Z we decided that there had to be a better way. And so we began looking around the landscape and the really, everybody loves to rental real estate if it weren't for tenants and toilets, but then that leaves parking lots and self-storage basically. And well, there's not a lot of value that can be created in parking lots. And so we began looking into the asset class of self-storage and just really liked what we saw. There's many reasons from a management standpoint, from a collections standpoint, just from a, an ease of operations standpoint. It's a very simple, predictable business model. If people don't pay, you, you lock them out and you sell their stuff to recoup your losses. And then when we turn the units, it's a metal box on a concrete slab. We don't have all the maintenance and we don't have the lengthy and expensive turns of painting and carpet replacement or cleaning and the appliances and everything else that goes on in the meantime. And so at that point, Jim, that's when we begin to divest of all of our tenant and toilet type real estate and then get into nothing but self-storage. And that was in 2005 and really never looked. So we began to ramp that up. I used to also be the president of the Central Indiana Real Estate Investors Association here in Indianapolis. And we began to teach people how to get into the business of self-storage by holding these little workshops on Saturdays. And that really caught fire. And some of the national agents for the speakers bureaus and the real estate speaker agencies began calling me and asking me to go out and speak around the country on this topic and teaching people. And thus, the education side of our business was born as well. So we're not only investing, but we were teaching people about the business. And then, of course, if you want to grow at any scale in commercial real estate, you need to learn how to raise private equity. And so we became very good at doing that. And that is what has fueled our growth and brought us to the place where we are right now with the stats that you just mentioned. And so we still teach people about the business, although I'm stepping away from that. I don't do that as much. We have lieutenants in place to the teaching side. But I do run our mastermind, which is a group of A players that are investing in the asset class. And then my role is really is head of and chief visionary, if you will, for our financial services arm, which is a raising private equity to go out to and grow the business. And that's a great story. And I always like to dig in a little bit to understand more about the shift. I understand wanting to get away from tenants, toilets, termites, all that. I did the same thing. But to then go to self-storage, how did you find self-storage and how did you think, okay, this is going to be... Because I I get it now looking back, it's easy to say, well, I wanted to get away from the stuff I didn't like and self-storage just was kind of there. And now it's more, I don't know if popular is the word, but it's more well-known. So how did you know then that this was a place to get into? Because that's quite a few years ago. It is. And at the time, that's really how our education business was born, Jim, is that when I began to look around the landscape, there really wasn't anybody teaching. There wasn't an organization like ours teaching people how to get in it. You could certainly learn reading books and doing home study courses and seminars on multifamily and mobile home parks and different asset classes, but there wasn't any on storage. And so as I begin to look around, I recognize that it was unpopular at the time. This is back in 2004 and five when I was looking into it. It was kind of the stepchild of the commercial real estate asset class. It's just these simple garages, if you will, and there weren't anywhere near as many as there were are today. And at that time, it was dominated by the mom and pops. So 90% of the self-storage facilities around the country were owned by mom and pop owners, basically investors just like myself that were out buying these small apartment buildings and houses. Whereas when you look at multifamily and assisted living and mobile home parks, they were predominantly owned by the REITs or the hedge funds. And so I recognize that this was a great opportunity for me to go out and a large opportunity to buy these mom and pop commercial pieces of real estate where it was a little more difficult to do so in multifamily. It was more competitive. 
And then it, we've seen how wealth is created in real estate on the commercial side when you roll these up. When you own a number of apartment buildings and communities in one location and then you sell off to a larger player, if that is the multiples are higher and the profits are greater. And I saw that in self-storage, even though there's a fewer of them compared to some other asset classes, the opportunity to be able to buy these from the mom and pops and then roll them up into my own organization and centrally manage them and achieve that economies of scale. Then, yeah, in 15, 20 years, when I decided to sell, that there would certainly be a greater opportunity at that point to be able to roll up my portfolio and sell it to a larger player. Now, do you find that it still seems like there's a lot of mom and poppers in this space, or do you feel like that's been reduced significantly? Is there still a runway to, to find these older people who are looking to get out of it? You can buy a property from them and then really upgrade it and do some of the things they didn't have to or need to do? Yeah, we're still, they've gained ground, meaning the REITs and the larger players. And so we're sitting at about, at the time when I got into the business, about 10% was owned by the REITs. And now it's about 20, maybe approaching 21%. So certainly the larger players have gained ground, but you could also say certainly there is a lot of opportunity because it is really the opposite. The ratio is the opposite. When you, again, you look at the multifamily and the other asset classes, it's about 90, 10, 90% owned by the REITs and only 10% owned by mom and pops and individual owners. And so Yes, the opportunity is still there and it still is. I don't want to say the Wild West and wide open because it is becoming a popular asset class, as you mentioned. I think that's partly due to our organization, our education organization, and making people aware that this is an asset class that is desirable. You have mastermind teaching education. Are these targeted towards people that want to be syndicators, operators, owners of the asset? Or are these targeted towards investors, passive investors who are going to be investing in somebody? Yeah, a little bit of both. When we started, Jim, it was more along the lines of holding these workshops for people that wanted to get into the business that wanted to explore this asset class. And so we really focused on the folks that were coming out of either single family or maybe multifamily and taking them from zero to 55 miles an hour in self-storage, just transferring the skill set from one commercial asset class to another by way of the underwriting and the operations. And then along the way, the next step was people wanted to grow and scale. And so that's where our mastermind came in place. And so those are folks that meet a certain criteria. And in other words, they're in the business and they're growing and scaling and they have access to capital and lenders or maybe not. And then we begin to put people into our mastermind or we begin to attract people in our mastermind that did have private equity and represented some family offices that were looking to come alongside of investors like ourselves that were growing and scaling and do some one-off syndications or some portfolios or be a part of a fund. And so by nature, it kind of grew with alongside in tandem. And we began to attract more passive investors because our marketing was geared towards that as a growing our business by way of creating these private placements as well as our fund. And so our marketing efforts from a joint standpoint is what has allowed us to grow on both ends. And I want to get into the actual asset class, self-storage. You mentioned a couple of things in the opening, right? You're getting away from having to evict people. Instead, you're evicting stuff. But why is self-storage such a good place to invest? And I want to look at this, obviously, from the operator standpoint, but also from the passive investor. Because passive investor, I don't deal with the termites and tenants and toilets anyway. That, that's your job. So why do I care? So why is it better for me to invest in self-storage than multifamily if it is? Or is it just about diversification? So there's kind of two or three questions wrapped up in there for you. Oh, I get it. And I would answer that almost the same for the reasons that a passive investor is interested in self-storage and investing along with us is basically the same reasons why we like it as an owner operator and an active investor. First of all, it's again, it's a very simple, predictable business model. It doesn't mean that it's an easy business. No business is. Or if you think it is, then you're probably not minding your business very well. But it is 
when, in terms of development and in terms of a uh, market saturation, we've got some numbers, some baselines that are pretty easy to calculate. And we can determine with a fair amount of accuracy when we go into a market and either looking to buy an existing facility and expand it or raise rates. And so we've got a pretty good handle on the market. And we know seven square foot per capita roughly is equilibrium. And any less than that, you're able to raise rates. And any more than that, you need to dig in a little bit further. It goes the same for development. From an operation standpoint, yeah, if people don't pay after 60 days, 90 days in some states, we have the ability to sell their stuff off and recoup our losses. Whereas that's a misnomer in the apartment world. So you have some baselines in terms of percentages, but if somebody leaves, they owe you a lot of money and they trash your apartment, that could vary from unit to unit. And you don't know if you're ever going to get that back, whether they have a job or not, or what the court looks like, a small claims court looks like in that market. And so that's a moving target. In storage, we know that we're going to get a percentage of that back because we don't have to go to the courts. It's not up to them. It's a lien law. And we have the ability to just auction the stuff off. And so we get our money back. We get it back quicker. And we know roughly what that's going to look like. And then we also know what our repairs are going to be because it's a metal box on a concrete slab. We blow it out and we wipe down the door. That's it. There's no ups and downs. There's no fluctuations. And so from a, an owner standpoint, we can budget better. We can hit our marks. That's also good for our passive investors when we know then we can budget exactly where we're going to be when we head into a project. Of course, just with more accuracy, there's no guarantees from that standpoint. But also really probably the bigger piece is that when we head into a recession, self-storage just does much better, Jim. It's just, it is based upon needs. It is needs-based. So when there's trauma and there's transition in the marketplace, when people are moving, whether it's good times and inflationary periods, when the housing market is strong, so with self-storage, people are, they're staging their homes, putting things in storage, and they're moving, which necessitates a need for storage. But also during a recession, conversely, businesses are downsizing, individuals are downsizing, and they're putting their stuff in storage. When they move back home or move in with each other, they're putting inventory back into storage because it's cheap warehousing space until things turn back around again. And so we actually do better during a recession as an industry than we do during the boom times. And so it is, I never say a business is recession proof or inflation proof, but self-storage is proven over and over again to be very recession resistant and inflation resistant. And it has the lowest loan default rates and the lowest loan loss rates. So from that standpoint, it's very attractive to us as owners and obviously for our passive investors. And this will be our third recession that we're heading into. And the statistics speak for themselves. And so from our standpoint, we don't have to work too hard to twist somebody's arm, if you will, or persuade them that storage is the asset class that they should be investing in, especially when we head into a recession because the industry speaks for itself. Right. And that self-storage, as you said, it's usually thought of like really recession resistant, as you just explained. It also does it well in up markets. But, you know, there's been some discussion in the left field investors that are infielder forums about self-storage and is it going to be the same this time? Because when I look at it, every time there's a new apartment complex going up in my town, there's a self-storage facility, brand new, built right next to it, right? And sometimes when there's an apartment building built across the street from another one, they just put up another self-storage facility. So I'm sure it's somewhat market dependent, but is it going to be the same in this? if there is a recession coming, which most people think, is self-storage still going to be the asset class to be in or is it overbuilt or is that market dependent? I would say it's extremely market dependent, Jim. And so we as self-storage developers, I include myself as well as in the industry, we don't do this for fun. We don't do it for kicks and there's no longer a spray and pray or build it and they will come mentality. What you're seeing, I imagine, and most folks out there are seeing are the multi-story class A self-storage facilities. We're in the eight, nine, 10, $20 million range. And so the lenders are pretty savvy. They're not going to hand over 10 to $20 million if we haven't done a market study, if we haven't done a feasibility study by an independent consultant. And we've shown and proven 
that this is a market that has a demand for self-storage. And so the market is, I don't want to say it's self-correcting or self-policing. We're no longer taking any of these risks. Uh, the appraisers aren't going to give an as-is and a to-be if they don't see those same market stats. When we do our feasibility studies, we do them in-house. When we do them in-house first, we've been doing this so long, but in order to pay to play, we have to have a feasibility study done by a consultant to give to the lenders. And then also when we raise private equity, that's what we use to send over to our private equity partners that says, hey, we've done our, this is not just Scott saying, hey, this is going to work. It is done by a consultant who is looking into the market and digging into it. So all that to say, Jim, there's an opportunity perhaps if somebody has a lot of cash and they want to take a chance and go build somewhere and they haven't done any kind of market study, my guess is that's a pretty haphazard approach. And the folks have that much cash, probably they're smart enough to know that they need to do their homework and they've got a lender behind it and some consultants with some studies to show that it's actually proven. That makes sense to me. So you've been in self-storage for over 18 years or almost 18 years. Can you talk about some of the things that have changed, some of the things that you've learned just over that long? Because to be honest, there aren't a whole lot of operators, certainly not in self-storage, right? But in even other asset classes that have been doing it for so long, and that's a huge advantage. So can you just talk about some of the, the learnings that you've had? Yeah, I'd say early on, initially, it was just the underwriting and understanding this asset class. And then through years of operation, seeing some of the swings, the market swings by way of now heading into our third recession, we know what to expect, but also seasonality on a year in, year out basis. We know that in the springtime, it leases up. And in the fall, when people go back to college and they take some things back out of storage, it's a little slow and people don't come out and rent. And so we know how to predict and manage that as well. In terms of the business itself, it's it ain't sexy, Jim. I mean, these are metal boxes on concrete slads. It doesn't change much. The biggest changes that we've seen in the industry in terms of improvements to navigate have all been just good ones. And that is uh, technology has allowed us to be able to utilize kiosks to rent up our facilities and not necessarily manage them, but we don't have to have somebody sitting behind the desk or two people twiddling their thumbs all day when they can basically rent a unit on their phone and receive the code to be able to get into the facility and to their unit. And then the security systems that we have that allow us to be able to monitor the entire site. And so we don't have to have people on site all the time. Those are some of the major changes that we've seen. And then in the macro sense, it has become really now the Cinderella of commercial real estate, no longer the stepchild, but it is the darling. It has outperformed all the other asset classes, bar none, for the past 25 years. I'm very unbiased when I say that. If there's a better asset class out there, I'll invest in it. But I'm happy that we're in this one because it has outperformed all the others. And as we head into the recession again, somewhat know what to expect. As you mentioned, all of these are different, but it has been a very predictable asset class. And so there hasn't been a whole lot of changes or anything that I can say that has been a huge change in the industry itself, other than it's become popular. And now, yes, there is a race for folks to be able to consolidate and get into this asset class. We're seeing players and competition coming in that we've never seen before. And so we have to have our A-game on when it comes to acquisitions as well as the development. But those are also our end buyers when we develop these facilities or when we consolidate and sell off. So we're happy that competition is coming in because it is uh, driving up uh, the values on the exit side. Aspen Funds has been a consistent supporter of left-field investors. You may have seen Bob Frazier on an LFI webinar or at our October meetup in the left field speaking on investable megatrends for the next decade. Whether you're an accredited investor interested in mortgage note funds with a 10-year track record or other macro-driven alternative investments such as industrial, oil and gas, multifamily or retail, the Aspen Funds team is keeping track of the economic trends and co-invests on every deal right alongside you. Meanwhile, 
You get to do what you love and make every moment count. Download their free economic report today at aspenfunds.us slash LFI. This is Zach Hapsensall, CEO and co-founder of Rise48 Equity. At Rise48, we've completed over $1.7 billion in total transactions, including 11 successful full-cycle dispositions. If you're looking to invest with an experienced sponsor in either the Phoenix, Arizona, or Dallas, Texas markets, then set up a call with us today at rise48equity.com backslash invest. That's R-I-S-E 48 equity.com backslash invest. What do you do when the market's changing, right? So how are you preparing for that? What is your team doing to make sure that if the recession comes, like, as I said, everyone thinks it's coming, what do you need to do to prepare for that in this market? Yeah, we've been preparing, Jim, since 2009. I was in real estate. Well, the recession that I went through first was 99, 2000, and that's when I was in houses and apartments. And that's when the Community Reinvestment Act was put in place to set the economy back afire again. And that was that administration felt it was a good idea that anybody who could fog a mirror should be able to buy a home. And they did. And so all of our tenants left. And, and I re- realized at this point that, wow, this is this may not be the best business model moving forward. So that was another reason I began looking into storage. And then 2008, yeah, well, we paid for that, the Community Reinvestment Act by way of the next recession. And at that time, I was in storage. And all I could see was a huge land grab by my competitors, my friendly competitors that had been in the industry a lot longer and had deeper pockets in terms of cash or private equity and good lending relationships. And they bought when these other owners, they didn't create enough value and they had to, when they refinanced, they couldn't hold on to their facilities because the LTVs had changed or their capital stack, the cost of capital had changed, not to the fault of the facilities, but just by owners that weren't prepared. Well, we saw that. And then we bought some of those up, but we recognize that when the next recession comes around, that we need to have better lending relationships and more private equity because that'll happen all over again. And we will see that. This will be strained. The capital stack is strained when people need to refinance. Partnerships will be strained for other reasons and things that happen outside of the self-storage facility or that business that these partnerships are in. And people are going to need to sell. So we've been preparing by way of really just making sure that we have cash available by way of our private equity partnerships and lenders that know, like, and trust us because we've done a lot of business with them. So our preparation has all been to participate in what will be the biggest land grab in in my lifetime or in my career in self-storage. And we're starting to see that to happen. And as you said, as we get deeper into the recession or once it finally hits, then that's when we'll begin to see a few more of these opportunities that will come on into play where there are either facilities or owners that are distressed that we'll be able to step into and hopefully make a deal with. Can you talk a little bit about what would cause an owner to be distressed? Because we're talking about self-storage being the best asset class to be in hard times, right? So hard times are coming. I would think that these owners would be, everything would be great. They're looking forward to it because self-storage performs so well. So is the self-storage overperformance, is that just relative to other asset classes in a recession? Or is it because some of the self-storage owners have gotten themselves into trouble with debt and things like that? Yeah, the latter. I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth. It is for all the reasons people sell real estate and many times when they have to sell, it isn't always the fault of the facility or the asset class that they've chosen because the asset class is going to do well and it continues to do well during a recession. But is this owner diversified across other asset classes that aren't performing well? If we head into another pandemic situation and they have assisted living or if they're affected by short-term rentals, whatever that looks like, death, divorce, bankruptcy, those all come with a recession. 
And if these owners have facilities, but it gets wrapped up in a bankruptcy, the facility could be top of the market in rents and 100% occupied, but it gets wrapped up in a foreclosure in a bankruptcy and it'll come back out to the market again. Or somebody has to make up for a small business that they own that is tanking and they need to sell their storage facility to get a windfall and grab some cash. Or again, any of those other reasons. Some people also during a recession, they're moving around, they're trading assets, selling because they don't get the depreciation any longer. Maybe they're fearful. They're on the front end of a recession and they're scared, so they don't want to ride it out. So they're going to sell now and, and be done with it. Or maybe they're nearing retirement. Capital gains taxes. There's a number of reasons why people sell real estate and that all gets amplified during a recession. Yeah, that makes sense. So at Left Field Investors, we are passive investors. So we're always looking for top quality sponsors. So how do you vet a self-storage sponsor? If you were going to invest in somebody else's deal, what are the, some of the questions that we need to be asking specifically to self-storage sponsors? Well, Jim, you and I have been to a number of events together and I've been to yours and the same resounding message comes out over and over again. And that's they want to invest with somebody who has integrity. The challenge with that is how do you vet that out? You don't determine that until you get down the road with someone, <laughs> until you get married per se. So you need to do your homework. And as a passive investor, the basics, the things that you teach, Jim, first of all, is it their first rodeo? Have they been in the business for a while? And I would say, as we tell our passive investors as well as that we're teaching, has this person been through or this company been through a recession? And to me right now, that is probably the one, if not the number one thing that they should be looking at, because there's a whole lot of folks out there that have done really well. They made a lot of money and they've got some solid returns. They've exited and made some good returns for their investors, or maybe they've raised a lot of money and they haven't exited yet. Well, anybody can do that when money is free and cheap and flowing like it has been for the past since 2009. But the question is, how successful were those owners, operators, syndicators? when they've had this big wind in their back. And I'll be the first to admit as well, 50 to 75% of the success in the real estate market recently has been as a result of the market. And we're not all rock stars, but how well have people performed through the last recession or the recession before? We're fortunate enough that we have a good story to tell and that the industry average in self-storage has returned 16.8% over the past 25 years. In the past 15 years that we've been syndicating and doing this business, our returns are above 34%. So we're doubling the market and we've been through two recessions. So I'm not tooting my own horn, but I guess I will. Admit, and that is you need to look at folks that have been through a recession to see have they navigated through that before. And if they haven't, well, they may not know, as Jim, they may not be able to see a little further down the road. Or as one of the gentlemen mentioned at the last event you and I were at, they said, I don't think I'd ever follow a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. <laughs> in other words, and I'll continue to repeat that, you can't learn from somebody. And I don't know that I invest with somebody who hasn't been through a war, who hasn't been through battle and come out the other side successful with a victory or victories. So that and track record is obviously important to be able to vet that, get referrals from other folks, take a look at where they're investing and why. Are they looking at a particular geographic reason or are they spraying and praying and just following deals? What does their team look like? Is their team savvy? Does their team have experience? All those are ample reasons. And then to be able to interview them. And I think many times, Jim, that integrity piece will come out. If you can get on with the lead sponsor or the folks that are really in charge or a handful of them, and you get on a Zoom meeting and you can fire these questions away at them, you'll be able to tell how they answer. And if there's lots of ums and ahs and they can't answer, that may not be the person that you feel comfortable going into battle with because we will be going into battle as we head into this recession and your retirement dollars are at stake. Who do they follow in terms of economists and what are they seeing coming down the pike? Ask them some pointed questions. Their underwriting model, how have they adjusted and are they adjusting their underwriting model and their exit cap rates based upon the upcoming recession? And if they plan to exit in four years or five years, what is that cap rate and how are they calculating that? Those are the questions you need to be asking because somebody who hasn't been through a cycle like this uh, may not be able to answer them in the proper way. 
So that's the sponsor, right? We also then got to analyze the deal or a fund or however you're looking at it. So as passive investors, we've already vetted the sponsor, right? As you just talked about. And so we get comfortable with them. The next step is how do we analyze a deal? So can you share with us two or three of whatever you think are the most important deal-specific metrics that a passive investor should look at without having to re-underwrite the whole deal? Just top line, what, here, here's a few things to look for. Yeah. Same thing an active investor would be looking at is dig into their feasibility study and look at their supply index. And is it is it high compared to the rest of the market? Where are rental rates and where are they trending? And to being able to vet and see what is the occupancy of the competing facilities in the market? Are rates going up? Are they using store track? Are they using Yardy matrix? What are the matrix or the metrics and the baselines that they're using in third-party reports to determine how strong is the market? If it's a new construction, who is their GC? And is it a reputable GC? And this is going to be a solid exit when the bigger players come along because they use a reputable GC that knows and understands storage that is going to get top dollar for it? Or did they use their local guy that has never built a storage facility before? What is the pedigree of all those folks that are involved? Furthermore, it is part of the deal as well, Jim, in the underwriting and taking a look at their exit cap rate and what is the valuation they're putting on that? How are they going to manage it? Who's going to manage it? I find that The more vertically integrated, the better. We have in-house property management, and that's because we know that nobody cares 1% as much about our facility and the performance of it as we do. Third-party property management companies are great. We use them. We have used them. We continue to use them. We have three that we use on a regular basis, or geographically, we may have to pull somebody else in. But only with an incentive-based compensation package would we use a third-party management company. So if a syndicator, a promoter, a sponsor is not vertically integrated and they're not controlling the management, which means they're not controlling the expenses of managing it, well, then they're at the behest of a management company whose one and only goal is to maximize fees, not necessarily the performance. And so does that sponsor, if they're using third-party management companies, is it a one-off customized compensation package with this property management company that is driven by performance? not just 6% fee, which ends up being, as you and I know, a 12% fee when all is said and done. And that throws your underwriting and everything off for the passive investor. So, I mean, I could go deeper, but those are probably the main things in terms of how is it managed and who's driving the NOI. That's great stuff. And then the next question, we vetted the sponsor, analyzed the deal. What are the markets that you're in? Are, are some markets better than others? Or is it like in multifamily, everyone's in the Southeast, the Southwest, there's specific markets that are really good where everyone's going. I assume that some of that is the same for self-storage. It is 100%. As you mentioned, you're seeing apartments go up, multifamily going up and storage going up across the street or storage is in first and multi comes after that. So we always want to be in the path of the pipelines and where things are going. I mean, the water pipelines and utilities and path of progress is, I don't want to never say, never say always, but almost always of the best markets and the places to be able to go to. That being said, we also have the ability because we've been doing this for a while and we have inroads with not only developers, but also with our brokers to be able to find these infill locations to be able to develop or find these warehouses or other industrial buildings that we can convert into self-storage. Whereas in the past, the city has not been amenable to this or there's a building that goes vacant and the apartment folks and the condo folks looked at it and it doesn't work, but it works all day for storage. If we can get in there and the supply index is only two or three square foot per capita where the median is seven or the equilibrium is seven, then we have the ability to step into some of those markets as well. And we can do that anywhere in the country. It doesn't matter. The market is growing. That just means that there's tremendous rent growth and pent-up demand. So it is a, it's a multi-tiered approach, but by and large, we are in the Southeast and we are in the markets in which people are moving to and that are growing. Makes a lot of sense to me. Well, this has been fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit about storagemissions.com? 
oh my gosh, do we have another hour? <laughs> I'd love to. <laughs> I'd say that we almost exist to do missions. And when my wife and I started in real estate, the goal was always to basically for two things. One, we had to honor God and to be able to give back. And two, it was to build a lifestyle business where truly we could be on the mission field and we'd be able to raise our kids and take them out of school or homeschool and take them around the country to experience a life in the world. And that's what we've been able to do. And so over the years, it has really evolved into what we do now is primarily through our house building efforts. We began back in 2013, we began tithing on our corporate profits. So taking 10% of our corporate profits and all our businesses, putting them into a pool. And then we go and build houses in the Dominican Republic in the beginning and now primarily in Ensenada, Mexico. But what we do, Jim, is we pay for the house. And we pay for all of the fees associated with it and all the travel and food and lodging for anybody who wants to come on a mission trip with us. It's a four-day family-friendly mission trip in a very safe area, Ensenada, Mexico. It is a cruise ship port. If you blinked, you'd close your eyes and open them again. You'd see Starbucks and McDonald's and palm trees, and you would think you were in the U.S. It's very safe. Introducing people to the mission field, so twofold, we give these folks a house, the folks that are interviewed with our partners, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and the Homes of Hope organization, these folks that are very deserving and in need of a home, and we're ending generational poverty, one house at a time, one family at a time. But then our missionary partners, the folks that come alongside of us, they're moved in some way. You can't not be moved in some way. And some of them are doing the same things. They are small business owners, they're real estate investors, they're many of our partners, our vendors, our passive investors that are coming along with us. And they go back and either they're changed enough to do something different in their home or their community. Some of them are now doing the same things that we're doing and they're building alongside of us and they're paying for a house and for people to come and to be able to pay it forward, but also multiply. So the ripple effect is taking place now as we've been doing this since 2013. We built 26 houses and we now take two trips a year, Jim, in the spring when school gets out and then once the weekend before Thanksgiving. And we're building three and now approaching four houses per trip. And we take groups of 20 people along with us able to do that. And we see no end in sight. As a matter of fact, we're getting larger. And so the goal at some point is my wife and I to flip the script and it'll be the 80-20 where we spend 80% of our time on the mission field and growing that and 20% in real estate versus the 20-80 that we are right now. That's fantastic. So that's storagemissions.com. If people want to get more information, is that the place to go? That is the place to go. And Jim, we need to get you out there sometime. We'd be happy to take you and your family on a trip. It's all paid for. Just get yourself to San Diego and we take care of the rest. That sounds great. I love that idea of investing in real estate and then doing good, right? And I'm always looking for those opportunities. That sounds amazing. Storagemissions.com. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. And then the last question I usually ask is, what's a great podcast that you listen to? Well, you can say your own podcast, but that'll be already in the show notes, the self-storage podcast. But what's another podcast you like to listen to? Oh my gosh, I have been listening forever to Tim Ferriss's podcast because he makes me think outside of the box a little bit, his guests, but then also, oh gosh, the syndication show is, is one of the better ones in terms of our craft and what we do. So those are two of the most popular. And just recently, I've been listening to a little more of the market podcast. So what's going on in Dubai and the BBC for more world finance, just to be able to look a little further down the road with what's happening with capital markets and what we expect as we head into the recession. Excellent. And then if listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way they can do that? Yeah, go to selfstorageinvesting.com is our all-encompassing self-storage website. Everything for the active investor, passive investor basically explains what we do as well as our mission efforts. And then uh, Scott Myers, self-storage, if you just Google that or you'll find me on all the socials, feel free to connect with me anywhere there, but I spend more of my time on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been really informative and we appreciate you being on the show. Thanks so much, Jim. It's my pleasure. Good to see you again.
Do you love coffee? Have you ever wanted to invest directly in the coffee industry? You can invest now in the number one largest coffee producer in the country of Colombia, the Green Coffee Company. Headquartered in the U.S., they are now Colombia's largest coffee producer and have opened their $100 million Series C funding round to accredited investors. The Green Coffee Company has over 7 million coffee trees and is on track for a 2026 sale or IPO projecting an 11x ROI for investors. Discounts are available for early funding, but there's limited capacity available. To invest, visit legacy-group.co and click the Current Offerings tab. That's the Current Offerings tab at legacy-group.co. Madison Investing is on a mission to democratize passive investing and make private real estate syndications and funds accessible to all accredited investors. To do so, Madison Investing developed Blueprint, a seven-part course that educates investors on how to develop an effective passive real estate investment strategy. Learn how syndications and funds offer investors a way to own a part of multifamily properties, self-storage businesses, and other asset classes with limited liability and potential for regular distributions while achieving strong ROI. For a limited time, Madison Investing is offering our listeners blueprint for free at madisoninvesting.com slash blueprint. Madison Investing CEO Spencer Hillegas is a registered representative of Finalis Securities LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Investing in real estate while capable of producing attractive returns entails a high degree of risk, including illiquidity of the investment and loss of principal. Lots of good information in that one. To have someone that's been in this asset class for so long is super interesting and you get lots of great information from that. And when he started in self-storage, it wasn't popular like it is now, right? It wasn't one of the hottest asset classes. And so I always find it interesting how people can find something like that. Like you're a multifamily guy, a single family home person, and then all of a sudden you somehow, well, I don't really like tenants, so what do I do? Well, you find self-storage and it worked out fantastic for him. At the time, it was dominated by mom and pop. And so my question, was, is that still the case? Because it's all being institutionalized. And I was really surprised that he said it went from 10% institutional ownership to only 20. Now that's doubling in what, 18 years, but it's still only 20%. So there's so much opportunity there because a lot of times you have these mom and pops who've owned it for 30 years. They don't want to do any of the updates or upgrades because they paid down their debt and now they're just cash flowing. So what do they care if they have no employees or electronics or all the other stuff that you can improve the asset on? So there's still a lot of room to run, I think, by finding these mom and pops and to keep going. One other thing he liked about self-storage would make sense to me, simple, predictable business model, right? You can buy a unit or buy a self-storage facility and you can instantly raise all the rents if you want to, right? Because everyone's on month to month. So the turnaround is quicker. You can add value quicker. If there's any open space, you can build more stuff on it. So it's just a easier, predictable business model. I like that he said that. And recession resistant. Scott said in the last two recessions, it's done better than everything else. And it's not just better relative to other asset classes. It actually performs better in downtimes because people are moving. There's a lot of displacement going on. And when Americans love their stuff and when things get displaced, you can't can't get rid of your stuff. You go rent a unit for 30 bucks and throw all your junk in there. And so that works. And that's the one thing that he said really focus on when you're talking to operators is find someone that's been through a recession and there probably aren't that many out there. And if they haven't been through a recession, then you really got to do your due diligence, start asking questions about how they're going to handle things and what have they learned? Have they looked back at how things went in those recessions if they weren't investors or owners at that time? But try to figure out, hey, have you done 
any preparations? Have you done any research and learned about how to get through a recession? So those are some of the important things. Yeah, it was really interesting talking to Scott. He knows his stuff about self-storage. There's no doubt about that. And we will keep an eye on him as we move forward. That's it for this time. We'll see you next time in the left field. Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.